wish the fathers a happy Father's Day, and though this is not what you might consider a Father's Day message per se, uh, there is plenty uh, of application that I think will be clear as we near the end of the message. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It's a life that is in the realm of the supernatural. There's nothing natural about it. Now, what I mean is that the Christian life is not like implementing a 10-step program to success. You see those books, there are a dime a dozen, they're everywhere. You do these 10 steps, you do these six steps, and you will find success, you will find your purpose, you will have your best life now, you will discover a better you, or something like that, right? It's not like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. The Christian life is a real walk with a present Savior through the Holy Spirit. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. We see that all throughout Romans chapter 8. In this one chapter, the Holy Spirit and his work and his activity in our lives is referred to 20 times in one chapter. It's remarkable. Now, don't misunderstand what I say. When I say the the Christian life is a supernatural life, I don't mean that we don't do ordinary things. We do. We do a lot of ordinary things. And we do these seemingly ordinary things in what looks like ordinary ways. But we should be clear about this. To do even the most mundane thing as in the life of a Christian or, or as a Christian, thinking like a Christian for the glory of God is supernatural. Okay, to do even the most mundane thing, like a Christian, thinking like a Christian for the glory of God is supernatural because the Christian life is lived from beginning to end in the realm of the Holy Spirit, energized by the Holy Spirit. Paul rebuked the believers in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 3, he said, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh or by the flesh? In other words, they, they were born again by the Spirit. They began in, by the Spirit. They began as a, by a powerful work of God's Spirit in them and upon them. And he said, are you now going to make headway? Are you going to be perfected? Are you going to move on in the flesh? And this brings us to the essential truth at this point. The supernaturalness of the Christian life is living in the Spirit. Living and walking in the Holy Spirit. This is such an important subject in the New Testament and like I said in this chapter, Romans 8. Think about the language of the New Testament. The Christian is described as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul poses it in the form of a question in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God who is in you and you are not your own? Therefore glorify God with your body Now, in that context, Paul's talking about sexual purity and so forth, but let's be honest. Everything we do in the body ought to be done with the recognition that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. We are his temple. The Lord Jesus describes the need for every single person, regardless of ethnicity or age or social status, or all of all people need to be converted. And he describes this conversion as being born again or to be born of the Spirit. A new birth, to be born again. 
And then, of course, we see this language in our text this morning with the phrases living according to the Spirit, having the Spirit dwell in us, to have the mind set on the things of the Spirit. Last week we looked at walking according to the Spirit. All of this simply highlights the reality that the Christian life is a life of living in the supernatural. Not floating around. I don't mean levitating. and I don't mean every day is like the day of Pentecost, okay, in Acts chapter 2. But it is lived with the help and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So here's the big idea I want you to walk away with today from Romans 8, 5 to verse 9. The the first part of verse 9 is what David read through. Here's the big idea, okay? The Christian is someone who has received new life through the Spirit, which produces a new mindset, a new way of thinking, which then empowers a new walk in the Spirit. Okay? The Christian is someone who's received new life from the Holy Spirit, which produces a new mindset, a new way of thinking, which then empowers a new walk. And all of this is in and through the Holy Spirit. So the life of the Spirit produces the mindset of the Spirit and produces, or excuse me, empowers walking in the Spirit. Now before we move into this text in more detail, I want to quickly recap what we've seen so far in Romans 8. So we need to remember what Paul has labored to tell us previously and see how it connects with the passage this week we're looking at. So verse 1, remember verse 1? There is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the basis of this verdict, no condemnation in the, in the courtroom of heaven, the basis of this verdict, uncondemned, not guilty, is the fact that Jesus Christ on the cross bore our penalty and took away the condemnation we deserve. He did that for us. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh, in Christ. Your condemnation, your sin, my sin, the condemnation we deserve, God laid it on Christ. Then two weeks ago, so that was four weeks ago, then two weeks ago we saw how the Spirit is the one who sets us free. And what the Spirit does is free us fundamentally from the power of sin. So you might say when condemnation is removed, the penalty of sin is removed. Jesus Christ on the cross frees us from the penalty of sin, what we deserve because of our sin. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and he frees us from the power of sin. Which is why Paul said in verse 2, Romans 8, 2, there's no condemnation, verse 1, for the law or the power of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law or the power of sin and death. So we're set free from the dominating power of sin and we are set free for fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. And what's the righteous requirement of the law summed up as? Love your neighbor as yourself. The the, the law is summed up in loving one another. James, Paul, Jesus all agree that all the commands, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet, all the rest of them are summed up in this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where we landed 
two weeks ago. The law is being fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. So that took us to verse 4. So what I want you to see in verse 5, the, ver- the first verse we're looking at today, is the word for. It begins with the word for. And what Paul's doing is he's building an argument here. In verses 5 to 9, Paul is giving us the reason for why he said the law is fulfilled in those who walk according to the Spirit. He's giving us a reason for saying that. And I think the reason goes like this. Those who walk according to the Spirit fulfill the law, fulfill the law by loving their neighbor because they have the life of the Spirit which produces a new mindset on the things of the Spirit which then impacts and empowers the way that we walk. Do you get that? Okay, so Paul's saying, here's why those who walk according to the Spirit fulfill the law because they've received new life from the Holy Spirit. They've been born of the Spirit. And when that happens, we get a new mindset. Not perfectly right away, but we do get a new mindset, a new way of thinking, which then empowers and strengthens the way that we walk, how we actually walk, put one foot in front of the other and live the Christian life. So the life produces the mindset which empowers the walk. All of this in the Spirit, through the Spirit, by the Spirit. I want to come back to this in just a bit. We're gonna, we're, this is where we're going to land, okay? But first we need to see this stark contrast, because it's so clear in these verses, the stark contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. And uh, it is stark. It's like night and day. It's like black and white. It's, there's no middle ground flat, in the flesh, in the spirit. Thinking according to the flesh, thinking according to the spirit, and so forth. Living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit. And I want to show my hand right off the bat. Okay? These verses, I think, are contrasting a Christian and a non-Christian. I believe the phrase is those who live according to the flesh and those who are in the flesh is describing someone who is not a Christian. On the other hand, I I believe the phrase is those who live according to the Spirit and those who are in the Spirit are describing the Christian. So, let's let's look at the life and mindset of the flesh. To be in the flesh or to live according to the flesh means that the power, the operative power, the source of animating life in all that one does is the flesh. By flesh, Paul means the sinful human nature that all of us were born with. We all were born with it. We inherit it from Adam, okay? We inherited it from Adam. Yes, that first man that lived thousands of years ago. We, we got it from him. We inherited this sinful nature. We inherited this fleshly nature. And Paul says that those who are in the flesh, that's their animating power. They're living according to the flesh. And so Paul uses the language of being in the flesh and living according to the flesh, not as a way of describing what happens to a Christian at times when we have sinful thoughts, fleshly thoughts, and stumble into sin, which we do sometimes. This is describing someone whose strength and vigor of life and whole direction of life is oriented after the flesh. 
When we look at how this person is described, I think it becomes self-evident that this is describing someone who does not know God. Let's just, take it, let's just take it phrase by phrase and look at how the person that's in the flesh, living according to the flesh, is described. We'll see it's kind of this downward progression that ends, you know, in the pit. Verse 5 says this, Those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? Those who live according to the flesh, they have the attitude, the mindset that they have comes from the sinful nature. Their whole outlook on life, their attitude, the way that they think is very much oriented to this world alone. What they can get out of this world. <clears throat> if I may say, there is a best-selling book by somebody who would say he's a Christian, It was called Your Best Life Now. That is very much a fleshly way of thinking. For the Christian, our best life is not now. It is not now. It is in the future. The life of the flesh produces this kind of mindset. Look at verse 6. The mind set on the flesh is death. So those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. The mind set on the things of the flesh, what is it? It's death. It leads to death. The wages of sin is death. The mind set on the flesh leads down a dark path, and at the end of the path is death. And verse 7 tells us why. This is key. This is so key. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The reason why the mindset on the flesh is death and produces death and leads to death is because that mind is at odds with God. At odds is not the right word. It's hostile. It's, it's at war with God. Now, we should be careful here because I think we tend to think about the, those obvious and outrageous sins that exhibit a hostility toward God. Think of like a pride celebration here in the month of June or um, drag queen story hour and those sorts of things. We think that is hostility toward God. And brothers and sisters, it is. But we can see those things as outrageous and crazy and out there and but then we can kind of give a pass to what might be more respectable attitudes and sins of the flesh. Paul makes this clear that we need to have a whole perspective on this. In Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, when he describes the works of the flesh, here's what he says. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives some of the things in the list, we would say, amen, 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 and then he's like, ooh, Ooh, ah, yikes. He says sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality, things we see all around us all the time in our day. Then he says idolatry, false worship, sorcery, enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, Divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, 
and things like these. Paul goes on to say, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do those things, those who do these things, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the way you can tell that someone is hostile to God is not just by how they talk about God. Someone can tell you how much they love God, how great they think God is. The question is this, what do they think about his law? What do they think about his commands? What do they think about his ways? Do you see that in this verse? The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, it's at war with God, and the evidence is this, it doesn't submit to God's law. That's the question. Does one delight in the law of God does one, or does one despise it? Does one delight in God's commands, what he tells us to do, how he tells us to live, or is one always and constantly pushing back and saying, no, I will not? That's how you know whether someone is hostile toward God. On the other hand, you know that someone has gone from being in the flesh to being in the spirit, not when they obey perfectly because none of us do. But you know that there's been a change when there's a growing and consistent submission to the Lordship of Christ and a love for his ways and a desire to please him and obey him. But just to draw this bleak, draw a bleak conclusion to the discussion of those who live according to the flesh, it says in verse 8, the mind set on the flesh does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I think we need to take seriously and just pause for a moment and consider the twice-repeated word cannot. Those who set their minds on the things of the flesh, it says they cannot submit to God's law and they cannot please God. This is a word of ability, or I guess in this case, it's a word of a lack of ability. Those who are in the flesh, living according to the flesh, they are unable, they are incapable of pleasing God. And here's what we need to recognize. The person in the flesh needs a miracle. They need something. They need God to do something that they can't do for themselves. Someone who's in the flesh does not need to simply start going to church. Going to church is good. We should go to church. I think as believers, we're commanded to go to church. Be part of a fellowship. But someone who's in the flesh, that, they, don't, they don't need to just, to just start wearing nicer clothes and adopt some Christian lingo and stuff like that. They need something radical to happen at the core of who they are. They need a complete overhaul. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for cleaning the outside of the cup while the inside was filthy and right, remember he called them, what was it, whitewashed tombs, I think? Right, you clean the outside while the inside is full of dead men's bones. Those who are in the flesh and living according to the flesh, they need something new. They need new life. They need the life of the Spirit. Because when someone receives the new life, then along with that comes a new way of thinking, which then leads to 
a new way of walking. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. He doesn't say, you know, some people really need that deep cleansing while others just kind of need to kind of shape up on the, out, on, on the edges a bit, right? No, he says, you must be born again. He said this to a Pharisee, Nicodemus. During the first great awakening, this work of revival that really brought such a tidal wave of God's grace uh, to Europe and to the, the early American colonies, the most well-known preacher on both sides of the Atlantic probably was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield preached thousands of sermons. But he preached so often on this one phrase, you must be born again, that a friend once asked him, why do you preach so much that you must be born again? And his response was great. Because you must be born again. Right? That's what people need. New birth. If those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which is death and hostile to God and unwilling, makes them unwilling and unable to submit to God's law and unable to please him in any way, they need to become not in the flesh any longer. They need to come alive by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. Now Paul, this is the last phrase of our text this morning. He's hopeful of the condition of those he's writing to. But he does give a condition in there. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, indeed, the Spirit dwells in you. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. There it is right there. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. That's the life we need. That's the life everyone needs. New life. Life in the Spirit. Because Paul says in verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who have this life, the Spirit dwelling in them, they're in the Spirit, they're living according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is not a command. This is not saying, now you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. There are commands like that in the New Testament, but it's not here. This is the outcome of someone who has this life. They think differently. Sometimes it may seem weak. Like, oh, I need, I need a stronger mindset on the things of the Spirit. Sometimes it may seem dim. But there's been a change. At one time, if, if this describes you, and you, have, you know you've experienced this change, then it's true that at one time you were concerned only with temporal, earthly, worldly things. That's what dominated your life. That's it. That's all that dominated your life. God was not in your thoughts, maybe on Sunday morning if you went to church, but God was not in your thoughts. 
You didn't consider him in your ways. You wanted what you wanted, and that was foremost in everything you did, not pleasing God, but pleasing yourself. But now there's been a change, if this is true of you. And the things of God are now on your mind, and you want to please him, and you want to know him more, and you want to understand his will and his ways and his truth more. This is the mind set on the things of the Spirit. And so I think it's true that a Christian can truly and genuinely say, I have a long ways to go, I want to grow in this, and nevertheless truly have a new way of thinking which comes from the Spirit of God. And you can know, because Paul doesn't stop there. He says those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6 says this, the, the mind set on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, Whereas the, the mind set on the things of the flesh is death. Enmity, right? strife, lust, sorcery, sexual immorality, and so forth dominates the mind set on the flesh, and all those things lead to death. This is what comes to dominate the mind set on the things of the Spirit. Life and death. I think what Paul has in mind here is not mainly a subjective kind of peace of mind like oh I just feel I just have a great peace of mind I don't think that's mainly what he's talking about I think that that is the outcome but I think what Paul primarily has in mind is that the mindset on the things of the spirit is the mindset on the truth this overarching truth of our salvation in Christ. And what has Christ come to give us fundamentally? Eternal life. Eternal life. And peace with God. When you think about what does our mind need to be set on as we walk through this minefield of the world, it is this, that we have the hope of eternal life And no matter what happens, I know that I have peace with God. That's what the Spirit produces in our minds. When you think about how Jesus described the ministry of the Spirit as the Spirit of truth who would come and remind of truth and reveal to us the things of Christ, it makes sense. The mindset on on the things of the Spirit is the mindset on things above. It's a mindset on eternal life, the eternal life that we have, that Christ has won for us through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, his ascension, the promise of his second coming. The mindset on things above is a mindset on peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if you, what impact does that have on our peace of mind? Of course, it gives us peace of mind, doesn't it? There might be a lot of turmoil around me, around us, But if we have peace with God, then at the end of the day, everything, everything is going to be okay. If we have eternal life, everything's going to be okay. So the life of the Spirit leads to a new way of thinking in accord with the Spirit. And this new way of thinking is what empowers a new walk. 
is what strengthens a new walk. What you set your mind on fundamentally impacts the way that you walk, doesn't it? Would you agree with that? The mindset on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. Do you think if your mind was more fixed fully on life and peace in the Spirit, it would impact how you walk? No doubt. Of course it would. Paul says the transformation comes by the renewal of the mind. That we may discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. On the other hand, remember what, when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan? Remember that? You remember what Jesus said next? He said, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's demonic. When your, mind, when your mind is set on spiritual things, and I don't mean just vaguely spiritual things, but on the things of the Spirit, the things of God, God's truth, your walk will show it. And I think we all know this intuitively. We all have experienced having our minds preoccupied with some anxious possibility. And it's consumed us. What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What am I going to do? And when our minds are so full of those anxious thoughts, does it impact how we live? Of course it does. Many here have experienced devastating loss. The loss of someone you love. The loss of a great sum of money or a job or a business or a home perhaps. And to be so occupied that our mind is fixed upon that, of course it impacts the way that we walk. Some have their minds fixed on wrongs done to them that they can't forgive or forget. And what does it do? It impacts how we walk, how we interact with people, how we live on the ground. But if our minds are set on spiritual things, the things of the Spirit, what would it look like? Well, remember the, the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, because it doesn't submit to his law. However, I think we could say the mindset on the Spirit, rather than being hostile to God, is tender toward God and can submit to his law and wants to please him. We sang that song earlier, I love you, Lord. And uh, there's this line that says, uh, take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I wonder if we recognize, like, do you know that we really can please God by how we live as his children? Of course, someone in the flesh can't, but as, as God's children and dwelt by his spirit, we really can please him, and that ought to be our aim in everything. We ought to be men and women and children of one thing. I'm stealing this from J.C. Ryle. One thing ought to occupy our minds. We want to please our Father in everything. So the mindset on the spirit is not hostile to God. It's tender toward God. It submits to his ways. It seeks to please him. 
When someone is born again by the Spirit or receives this new life of the Spirit, something remarkable happens. And I think, I think, I think sometimes we, we, we consider our salvation story, if, if, if you like have such a clear-cut day, I know when I was saved, and, and, and we, we often think about what we did. We were at a meeting where the gospel was preached. We perhaps walked an aisle. Someone led us, led me in a prayer, and I accepted Christ. And, but the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on what God does. Most of the emphasis on what God does. Of course, we respond. When someone receives the new life of the Spirit and is born again, something remarkable happens. The prophets in the Old Testament describe it, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Ezekiel says that God takes out the hard, stony heart. A heart of stone. And he replaces it with something. He replaces it with a new heart, a heart of flesh. Now don't think of flesh like we've been using it in Romans 8 here. It's contrasted with stone. Okay, stone is hard, Dead. A heart of flesh is soft, tender, alive. Takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, gives us a new heart. God puts his spirit inside of us. And then he does something. He writes something on our minds and hearts, Jeremiah says. Do you know what that is? What does God write on our minds and hearts? His law. Right? I will write my law upon their minds and put them on their hearts, he says. So for the Christian, no longer is the law of God external merely, okay? Merely external on tablets of stone. Now it's internal, written on a tender heart, a new heart, a heart that wants to please God. The law we once hated, we now love and desire to obey. And of course, the summing up of the law, the fulfilling of the law, is love. All the commands are summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not mere external adherence, but a glad obedience from the heart out of love for God and love for one another. The law gives commands, but doesn't give us the power to obey. Okay? The Spirit gives us new life, changes our minds, and empowers us to do what pleases God, to walk in love. Remember last week I shared this little poem. I know some of you know this. Run, John, run. The law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us to fly and gives us wings. Now, I've heard that that actually wasn't John Bunyan that wrote that, but I don't know. I'm not sure who did, so I'm just going to say it. I think it might have been him. Um, the law gives commands, but it doesn't give us the power to, right? In the flesh... We hear these commands and we have no ability to obey them and please God. Truly obey them and please God. 
And with the gospel, the spirit of God comes into our hearts and we become his temple, his dwelling place, and he empowers us and strengthens us to obey the law, but not just the letter of the law, but the full meaning of the law, which is love. I think it was St. Augustine who said, the law was given that grace may be sought. Grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. The life of the Spirit is God's gracious gift. It's far more than just putting a little flicker of life in us. It is the very life of God. We are born of the Spirit. And it produces a new way of thinking. And this new mindset has a monumental effect on our lives. So here's the question. Do you have this life? Do you know this life? Have you experienced this, this new life, this inbreaking of the Spirit of God upon you? If you're unsure, then seek it today. Seek it today. Seek it today. Come to God and say, please, I must have this life. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I, I have experienced that, but I not walking in the fullness of that, then plead with God to revive you. Jesus gives us all this invitation in John 37. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus spoke this, of course, while he was still on the earth, and so there's this little parenthesis after that that explains. It says, this he spoke to those who were going to receive his spirit but hadn't received it yet because he had not yet been glorified. But now we know that Christ has been glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, and so we may come to him by faith and drink. And he says this, if you come to him and drink, out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. That's life. Rivers of living water. And then once you have this life, well then what? Just kind of float around wherever, just wherever the, you know, spirit, wherever, wherever the wind blows you. I've heard people say that before. Eh. We have been given a new way of thinking, but we are to cultivate that. We're to develop that. We're to grow in this mindset on the things of the Spirit. We're to do that. Which is why we're commanded in Colossians 3.1, set your minds on things above. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, you know what that is? New life in the Spirit. If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, So we work to cultivate the mind set on things that are above because this is the key to how we walk. The mind set on things above will impact your walk on the ground. This is key. So we set our minds on things above. Now, I just want to leave you with two things. To set our mind on the things of the Spirit or on things above, I think includes at least two things. 
I'm sure we could fill more in here, but two things, okay? And it is fill your minds and tune your minds. I'll explain those, all right? Fill your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with the word of God. Fill your mind with the spirit-inspired scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's the breath of God and is profitable for us so that we are equipped for every good work. It equips us for our walk. So fill your mind with God's word. This is where God shows us his will. This is where he reveals to us what pleases him. And so I would urge you to read and meditate and study and memorize. Yes, memorize too. Even if you're younger than you think you can memorize or a little bit older than maybe your mind's not quite as sharp as it was 20 years ago. That's all right. Work to read, study, meditate, and memorize Scripture. Psalm 1 describes the blessed man who bears fruit in every season. He's like this strong, I don't know if oaks are planted by streams. Anyway, he's like this big, strong tree and its roots are sunk down in the river and he's receiving the nourishment that he needs. And, and, And what is this? He's the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. So fill your minds with God's word. And second, tune your minds to the Spirit's presence. Learn to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He's a person who dwells in you, who's with you. Jesus called him the helper, the comforter. The Greek word is paraclete, the one who comes alongside us and helps us. So he's with us, always with us. In Psalm 16, King David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He said, I have set the the Lord before me. Now, in one sense, we don't set God anywhere, right? He's God. We don't tell him what to do or move him from here to there or anything like that. But I think David was saying, I recognize the Lord with me. He is with me. He is with me. This isn't just a mantra for Christians. Oh, I just know God's always with me. We, we want to live consciously aware of the Spirit with us. And so I use that word tune. I got that, you know, we sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's this line in there, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. And so we ask God, God, help me to tune my mind to the reality that your spirit is here with us, always with us. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come, the helper can come and be with you and in you. And so David said, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's where we walk. Right When we know the Spirit's with us, our minds are full of his truth, and we, we recognize and tune our minds to his presence, we can, we can walk boldly and confidently in this sin-wracked world and be a light for his glory. 
So fill your mind with his word, tune your mind to his presence. Set your mind on the things of the spirit and walk in his strength, doing what pleases him, fulfilling his law, which is love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Romans 8, this remarkable chapter, and these remarkable truths found here. And Father, I pray that you would help us to...